You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week four of the study In His Image. Today's teaching is entitled God Most Just. Welcome again, both to those here in the room and those listening online. This past week we studied God Most Just. And oh, how we love justice. We want everything to be fair at least for us, right? My husband teaches at Lancaster Bible College and um, he had assigned a paper in one of his classes. And when this one student received her paper, she was very upset about the grade. She got a D on it. And so she, in the middle of class, was really challenging my husband and accusing him of being so unfair and insisting that he grade her paper again, that he read it again and give her the grade that she truly deserved. So he kept kind of clarifying and saying, is that really what you want me to do? And she said, yes, you have to. So she walked up and handed him the paper and he said, okay, so you really want me to give you the grade you deserved? Um, Because it was a really bad paper and he had tried to show a little bit of grace to her by passing her. So he took the paper from her crossed out the D and wrote an F. And at that point, I'm sure she was thinking, okay, never mind. I don't want what I deserve. Um, I don't want what's fair. We want it to be fair for us. And if you are currently or have ever parented a small child or babysat for one, or if you've ever been one yourself, so now everybody's included, You have no doubt heard in most likely a very whiny voice, but it's not fair, to which you probably said or heard, yep, and you might as well learn that lesson now, life isn't always fair. But praise God that he is always fair, perfectly just in all his ways. And yet, in complete disclosure, we have each probably thought, wow, God, this doesn't seem fair, what's happening to me. I don't deserve a D. Haven't I served you? Haven't I been faithful? Haven't I dot, 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 you fill in the rest. But let me pray for us first. Oh, Father God, you are the perfect, just judge. And yet we forget that so often and we wanna define what justice and fairness should look like in our lives. So I pray, Lord God, that in your goodness, you would remove our distracting thoughts, you would soften our spirit to hear what you want us to know. Hide me, Lord God, reveal yourself. You truly speak the words we need to hear, I don't. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us and for being just. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Similar to what I said last week with good, justice can oftentimes be defined subjectively. My two younger children did not think it was just that their older brother got to stay up a half hour later than they did. My husband and I thought that was complete justice. They also weren't thrilled when they lost a privilege or had to sit in time out for disobeying a family rule. Many in our society today do not believe it's fair 
that some who work equally hard do not have as nice of a home or a car or vacations as others do. Some even believe our system of justice should be more lenient. Some think it should be stricter in certain areas or that there should be loopholes or ways around receiving the punishment truly deserved based on the crime committed. We do have an established standard for justice in our country based on the law, and any society must in order to function properly. But more importantly, we have one based on God's law, because God and God alone is the essence of complete justice. I know I sound like a broken record, but it is worth repeating every week. He is perfectly, eternally, infinitely just. He cannot change, he cannot lessen, he can only and always be purely just. He always acts according to his justice along with all of his qualities. And that is why we can completely trust his justice because it's in total harmony with his holiness and his love and his goodness and yes, even with his mercy, which we will look at next week. A.W. Tozer wrote that justice is not outside of God to which he must conform. God is himself justice, the author of all moral laws. Some definitions I found for just, based on or behaving according to what is morally right and fair, conforming to moral uprightness and goodness, legally correct, equitable, impartial, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament frequently used for justice is mishpat, which means a verdict pronounced judicially. What is right? Divine law. And please take note of the little Hebrew word on the bottom because Jenny was very proud of that. <laughs> Jenny, <laughs> I have to credit her for putting both the Hebrew and the Greek word, so make sure you take note of those. In the New Testament, the commonly used Greek word is dikaios, right, righteous, equitable, observing divine laws. Some other lengthier definitions for this word, which I think are important to consider are, used of him whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is totally conformed to the will of God, and who therefore needs no rectification in the heart or life. Rendering to each his due, in a judicial sense, passing just judgment on others, whether expressed in words or shown by the manner of dealing with them. So according to God's holy word, we cannot define justice apart from divine law. And we also see that it impacts our thinking, feeling, acting, and how we treat others, all to be conformed to the will of God. Since God and God alone is our standard for, indeed the very essence of justice, let's see what his holy word says. Jen listed several key verses. I'm going to point out a few others, but make sure if you haven't done so that you look up hers as well. In Genesis 18, and Jen actually referred to this story, Abraham is pleading with God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there are just a certain number of righteous people there. And in verse 25, he says to God, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? 
Abraham is acknowledging that the Lord is judge of all the earth and that he does what is just. Of all the earth, meaning Christian and non, all will stand one day before God's just judgment, regardless of their lack of belief now. In Revelation 16, the angel affirms that God is just. Even after witnessing bowls of wrath being poured out, verse five reveals what the angel knew. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. The angel saw the wrath, the judgments, which certainly were not pleasant, and yet could still confidently proclaim that the Lord is just and holy. Psalm 19.9 tells us, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. God's judgments, his rules, his standard for justice is true and completely righteous. And the root word of true is stability. Think of that, ladies. His justice is what gives stability to our lives. Do we see it as that? Along that same theme, Psalm 97.2 reads, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. We all understand the importance of a strong foundation and its significance to support and give stability to the structure above it. We might think that his throne is based on love and mercy And absolutely, those are critical to who God is. But note that the psalmist identifies his righteousness and justice as the base upon which the throne stands. A foundation must be firm. Our Lord must be unwavering in his holiness and in his justice. And indeed, that is what gives stability to us as we build our lives upon that foundation. Jeremiah 10:24 gives us further clarity into God's justice. It states, correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. God is that consistently perfect parent, the one who corrects and disciplines out of love and justice, not in harshness, or in reactive, impulsive anger. We can trust that. We should be grateful for that. Listen to these words from a song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, 39 to 41. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, and the New American Standard says takes hold on justice, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. God in his ultimate wisdom and mercy made no attempt to conceal his wrath. He is not ashamed to make it known that he is just and will carry out his justice. Arthur Pink points out that God knows that his wrath is as much a divine perfection as his faithfulness, 
power and mercy. And yet are we at times uncomfortable with his justice? Do we try to just focus on his love and mercy and grace? And yes, those are necessary and good to dwell on and to discuss with others. And clearly we need discernment on what to say, especially to non-believers. But at the same time, if God is not ashamed to make his justice known, then neither should we be. Pink points out that some believe God's justice is not consistent with his goodness, and so they seek to banish it from their thoughts. As I said in the very beginning of this semester, it is essential that we have a right view of God, one based on scripture. I heard a pastor use this analogy. He was referring to how we approach scripture, but I think it also perfectly applies to how we approach and view God. We need to see it as a smoothie, not as a salad. As we consider God's attributes, we cannot pick out the pieces we prefer and leave behind in the salad bowl the ones that we don't like so much. God is all of his attributes all of the time, and he's perfect. Perfect and incomplete unity. His justice and mercy do not quarrel with one another. He holds them in perfect balance. They work together, and the result is infinite love and goodness. Again, not to sound like a broken record, but actually I kind of do because this point is essential to grasp. What is true of God is always absolutely true of Jesus. Infinitely, eternally, they are one. John makes it pretty clear in chapter five, verse 30, when he quotes Jesus as saying, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is always just. Peter also affirms this in his first letter, chapter three, verse 18, and I'm reading this in the New American Standard. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. His death can and does bring us to holy, H-O-L-Y God, because Jesus is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, just. Zechariah prophesied about the Messiah in chapter nine, verse nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. And then John in Revelation, when he's relaying the vision he's received regarding the second coming of the Messiah, describes him in 1911, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Yes, Jesus will judge, but it is in complete righteousness, a perfectly just judge. So this morning as we switch focus to consider how this impacts us and what it means in our life, we will look at how we are to be just, but I also want to discuss how we view God's justice or how we should. If we are to love, 
honor and be grateful for his justice, then we must love his law, all of it, as he does, as the psalmist did. I encourage you to read Psalm 119. We need to not only love his law, but appreciate it, see it as right and holy and good for our benefit and to realize the same is true of his justice in carrying out that law. On our sanctification journey, as we progress in holiness, as we grow from milk to solid food, we begin to see God's discipline of us, his justice as evidence of his great love for us. As we do with earthly parents, I don't think any of us would observe a home where rules are stated but never enforced or maybe kind of enforced at a willy-nilly inconsistent manner where there are absolutely no consequences for clearly wrong behavior. I don't think we would say, wow, what amazing, great, loving parents. We understand the absolute need for justice and for rules in the smooth operation of a home and how that is one way we love our children. How much more so for God with his children dwelling in the earthly home which he established. If we tend to see God's execution of justice as extreme or unfair, could it be that we have a diminished view of humanity's fallen condition and of God's pure holiness? I think in our pride, we are prone to regard at least our sin lightly. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago when we looked at holiness. If we see ourselves as being not really so bad, then his justice can seem a little harsh. But when we view our wretched sinful state, when we stand in awe of God's perfectly righteous nature, we can't help but realize his absolute hatred of sin, which logically then leads to the understanding of his need to be just and further to see his justice itself as being holy and pure and wrapped in mercy. Despite how we mistakenly may think of them, justice and mercy are not opposites. They are complements. They work in tandem to execute love. We need a proper view of God. We need a proper view of self in order to appreciate and value his justice. Yet somehow, we believe he's holy. We know he hates sin. We affirm he has full sovereignty. Yet we question his justice. Is he always fair? Don't I deserve a higher grade? Isn't it sadly ironic how we want our life to be fair according to our terms and yet how grateful we should be that God's absolute justice was met through Jesus Christ on our behalf and we are spared from being treated fairly and receiving what we justly deserved, an F. Proverbs 28.5 explains that evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. If we are struggling to accept God's justice, 
Maybe we need to go back to seeking him more intently, seeing his heart, grasping his goodness, realizing his wisdom, and how then are we to live? Micah 6.8 is a familiar verse. We are to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly. And how else does scripture instruct us? Leviticus 19.35 commands, you shall do no wrong in judgment, in measure of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just tin, which were other terms of measurement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. We are to be honest. And for an exclamation point after the command, he is the Lord our God who delivered us. In other words, he has every right to make that demand of us that we be just and honest in how we treat others. Deuteronomy 16.20 tells us that justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We must intentionally pursue doing justice in our own life, and we will be blessed for that. Proverbs 21.3 informs that to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. This is not to say that he doesn't want our offerings to him, but it does mean that if we are giving of our finances or our time or in other ways, yet not treating those around us fairly, that is not pleasing to him. The prophet Isaiah gives us a specific way to do justice. Chapter 59, 14 through 15 reads, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. We need to be people who not only know the truth and walk in the truth, but who also speak truth and conduct ourselves in integrity in big ways and even in the little ways. There's no such thing as a little white lie. A lie is a lie. If there is deceit in our personal lives or in our interactions with others, there can be no real justice. Luke describes the interaction of the two thieves that hung on crosses beside Jesus. One of them mocked Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And in verse 40 to 41, Luke tells us, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He understood that God is just and he was being treated as he deserved, receiving the punishment his sin required. Do we receive God's justice and realize it is the due reward and not an unfair act on his part? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at several verses in Hebrews 12 and verse six tells us, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So not only do we need to do justice ourselves, but we even need to gratefully receive God's justice and discipline when we go astray 
when we break the family rules. We do not need to fear his justice, but rather realize that after the cross, justice now benefits us because of Christ's sacrificial death in our place. 1 John 1.9 assures us that when we confess our sins because God is just, he will always forgive our sins. We benefit greatly because Jesus Christ paid the price. And I know this can maybe get a little bit confusing, so I just wanna make sure we all understand there's kind of justice like God's wrath at the end, final judgment, and that's what Jesus Christ paid the price for. But that certainly doesn't mean that he won't be pouring out his justice on us in terms of his loving discipline throughout our lives, bringing us back on track. I love Jen's analogy about entering the courtroom and we see Judge God seated behind the bench. And then we see that Jesus is interceding on our behalf as the defense attorney, chief witness. Yes, we should realize the intensity of re and reality of God's justice, but we do not need to live in fear of it. Yes, we will receive his discipline at various times in our lives, but it is to correct us and train us in all godliness. And as his redeemed children, we are spared the ultimate act of his justice and wrath at the final judgment. If a king or ruler has simply all justice, it could be a totalitarian regime, rules without love. And a leader who operates strictly from mercy, well, that could create a chaotic situation, love without rules. Both are needed for balance. Even well-meaning parents can tend to lean more heavily in one direction or the other. Loving meaning really permissive or overly authoritarian. Praise be to God that because he is perfect, he does not lean too much in any direction. And we are the beneficiaries of that. We live under that perfect balance. God's justice is holy and righteous and for our good because it is completely blended like a smoothie with his other attributes. A mini challenge I have for each of us this week. The next time we're praying and thanking God for his goodness or love or forgiveness or answered prayers, Let's offer up a prayer thanking him that he is just the perfect judge. And then a second prayer, Lord, how can I show justice to those around me? Let me pray. Father God, we don't often think to thank you for your justice because, well, to be totally honest, it's something that often makes us feel uncomfortable. None of us like to be disciplined. None of us like to think about people facing your final judgment who don't believe in you. And yet, Lord, where our understanding limits us, allow our trust and faith in your goodness to carry us. We believe you are just. We thank you for being just. Help us to receive your loving discipline of us 
and to respond in a way that does lead us into all godliness. Thank you for loving us so much that you're willing to do that for us. Thank you for wanting to bring us back onto the correct path when we stray. And thank you most of all, Father God and Jesus the Son, that in your justice and mercy, Christ paid the price so that we can be forgiven and not receive the final wrath. We love you, Lord God. Thank you for loving us first. It's in your name we pray, amen.